0: This WestWords Mini Masterclass is a production of WestWords, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on WestWords and what we do, please go to westwords.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Westwards Mini Masterclass. My name is James Roy, I am Program Manager at Westwards and today I am sitting across the table in Daffodil Cottage from Michelle Freeman. How are you Michelle? Are you well here in Daffodil Cottage? A bit warm today?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks James.
0: It's a bit warmer than it would normally be up here, but um, yeah, you've got us on a heatwave.
1: But the start of the week was 16. Right. Yeah, it was freezing.
0: So today's Thursday. You've been here since Monday evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I've seen, all, I've seen it all. I've seen oh, you've, you've seen most of it. You haven't seen it <laughs> all. Yeah.
0: You haven't seen the minus two days, but they don't happen very often. So, yeah. that's um, so welcome to the podcast and welcome to Daffodil, even though we're a few days in. How, how have you found it so far?
1: Well, it's beautiful mm. and it's a total privilege. I feel very fortunate um, and definitely... It's quite introspective and solitary and Mm. very singular, I think, to just be so engaged on this project when usually you're juggling so many different things in life.
0: Yeah, well, that's what we hear most about. This is the the fact that you can just sort of switch off all the other bits of your, all the other compartments of your life and kind of get on with it. I don't know how good that is, though.
1: Like, I I miss (laughs) that variety, I think. I don't miss it, but it's just, it's very immersive. yeah. Yeah.
0: That's good. Especially with
1: no one, you know, around you. Right. Like I really noticed that
0: too. Yeah. And I'm not going to stay, I'm, I'm not going to be in your hair for very long you know, because you fine. were kind of like, can we get it done? I just want to get it done. I, mean, I completely no, no. get it. <laughs> that's the interview side of it. You that's the, edit, interview so, edit, the interview edit, of edit, side. The interview side. Yeah. edit those out.
1: Thanks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <it's fine. laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I've got your details in front of me, but tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what's brought you to this point because you by your own admission you don't call yourself a writer yes even though I think you probably should you've probably you got should. you've got um, enough in my mind you've got enough runs on the board to definitely call yourself that so as you said to me a minute ago that's a that's a question for you and your therapist as <laughs> to when you get to call yourself that yeah. but we'll we'll, get, we'll sort of maybe touch on that a little bit later on but tell us a little bit about yourself as a as a as a writer I'm gonna, I'm gonna use sure. the word
1: um Well, I guess there's a few, there's probably a few different reasons that I hesitate to to say that. And some of them are maybe things that I can personally unpack. But there's also just the fact that there's so many things in life, really. I feel like I'm working, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent, I live with my mother. Um, You know, I, I, I work really hard to be connected to my friends and my community. So I'm all those things, I'd like to think. And in terms of um, this... And, and
0: I dare say you'd be a fairly terrible writer if you weren't into of those <laughs> things. I don't think any writer can be a writer in complete isolation, right?
1: No. But, I mean, I also don't have a great deal of time for it. So it's not something that I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing daily, for example, either. Um, and then this particular project is um, my first attempt at writing a novel. And I know you said you'd come back to this, but it's... A long project that's been going over many years and I have had a break from it and I'm returning to it. So in the residency really looking at reworking and re-editing that. Um, and then I had started another, another project in between. So that's the main, the main writing kind of feature of my life has been novel writing. And in the past, I've written some articles or recorded radio stories, um, short stories. And I think, again, that hesitation around writer, not a writer, is that it's always been so piecemeal. It's always been off and on. I've never felt, like, um, defined by writing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know really what that, what's mm. that about. You know, I'm not the writer that's clutching the notebook on the rig,
0: <laughs> right. so I just wonder if, if in terms of the project you're working on now which is your first novel which it's had some some interest from various places I mean you're one of our one of our fellows and it was it was um, in the running for the Westwards prize and, and so on and so forth did you always keep in the back of your mind that at some point you're going to have to once you've finished what felt like the final draft that you may have to come back and revisit it and did that mm-hmm. hold you back in writing your second thing? Were you keeping one eye on the yeah. first project? No, that's while you a good question. Second?
1: That's interesting. No, I think um, I had very much wanted to let it go, and it was picked up by an agent, and I found that incredibly validating. And she loved it, so I was really happy to go. Well, that can sit with you, um, yeah. and I'll turn my attention elsewhere. And it took a long, a long time to start another um, novel, a longer piece of work. I enjoyed just not having any big project on for a while um and then once I started the second work I that was great I was just enjoying doing that and I think um although the agent loved it it was really hard getting it out there and it like went on for long a long period of time where there was um there was COVID and lockdown different pauses as things were looking pretty grim down in um Melbourne in particular we hit pause around those times um there were knockbacks and in those periods there were times where I think I remember having conversations where someone said why don't you look at it again and I was like no why why would I look at it again I don't want to look at it again so that has really shifted I think it took a long time um, before and I think it was actually around the Westwards Prize and I do really credit Michael Campbell with having such a um, constructive conversation with me, and also timing. I think that he gave me um, constructive feedback at a time that I was much more open to it, not that in an arrogant way I just had I just wasn't um i don't know maybe I just wasn't ready or I really needed a break from it or all those things. Um, so it sort of just came together in that way.
0: That... It is a complicated kind of scene, isn't it, for for writers in, in the sense... What I mean by that is that you've got people giving you advice, but then how, how, do, you, how do you pass that advice? How do you... Mm-hmm. How do you know which advice? To, I mean, is mm. there someone advising you on how, which advice yeah. you take? Know, someone yeah, Is advi- your sure. agent giving you advice? Yeah. Is someone advising you on yeah. the best agent? And all. It's, it's complicated, yeah. isn't
1: and it? Totally. And trying to, um, I think it's endless figuring out what's subjective and what's um, useful and constructive. So, and sometimes with some of the knockbacks, you know, my agent had never suggested we re- reworking it. A lot of the knockbacks were taste-driven. We, we don't um, want a dark novel, I heard quite a few times, and the pandemic is such a difficult time right now. People want hope. So I hadn't really been considering that it, there was something that I could rework in in the novel. It was more about it not finding the right place. That's how it felt for a little while. And then I think, um, yeah, maybe that, that shift around going, well, hang on, what might not work and what could I consider? Again, I think that might have just been timing. Um, mm. But previously, I think getting to what you'd asked about, there is that idea of what do you take on and what don't you take on is a really hard one to navigate. There's no sort of rule book around that. And I have always, yeah, found that hard. And I guess you're just trying to trust, trust
0: Yeah, and you, you learn
1: key people around you.
0: I guess it's like... Finding your way in any, any industry or any scene, you kind of you do with experience work out, and you still make mistakes. I guess you still trust mm. the wrong person from time to time. I suppose oh,
1: it's impossible to know. It um,
0: is. It is. So a bit of advice that is often given to writers um, is that when you've finished a major, you know, the umpteenth draft, and you feel like it's as good as it's going to be, perhaps for now, perhaps ever. And you put it aside and then you, you, you stand it off to all the various people, the agents or whatever. And then you, the right advice, I think, is that at that point you go, right, time to write the new thing while I'm waiting.
1: Mm.
0: When, you were, when you decided to get back into it for whatever reason, was that a, were you excited by this stage to get back into it? Were you thinking, I've had enough of a break now, I'm really stinging to get back to it?
1: Yeah, it was good to do a new project. And it's true, you hear that advice constantly. It made sense. Um, It was good advice. I tried to heed that advice. I only had a little break. And I really enjoyed having a a new project and being at a completely different point where it was all before you. Um, It wasn't always easy. I think the way I work is pretty messy. So, you know, I'm churning out all sorts of stuff very unplanned so it wasn't like that was really joyful like it was quite muddled um and I think really though hitting the point where I was like I have to choose whether or not I'll stop this new project and return to the old one at that point I did have momentum so that was harder I'd Mm. gotten through some of the muddle and I did feel like I'd you know hit yeah a bit more of a stride with it and even now I think I'm so immersed in this I think oh I don't know about that other
0: project. I don't know about that other book. It feels like a bit of a high-stakes <laughs> game of poker, doesn't it? You're kind of going, Do I, am I going to fold on this and hit on that and, and whatever to, yeah. to, to garble up that particular uh, metaphor. Um, so when the time came for you to go, I'm putting that aside, we're going back to the... Were, were you refreshed by that? Because yes. you know, when you leave a project that you've been worked on, you're taken to the, as far as you can take it, it's exhausting. You look at it and you go. I can't read this damn thing one more time. I'm mm-hmm. done with this. But you yeah. were excited to get back to it?
1: Well, I don't know if I'd use the word excited, <laughs> okay. but um, no. But it's tr- refreshed was was true. I think. Um, I think if I ha- if someone had have asked me to do that much earlier on, I really would have balked. I just I wouldn't have wanted to go back.
0: What over was the time it? period between putting it aside and? I was at least a it. year, right? I think,
1: yeah. Um, and so and again like certainly like I said it wasn't exciting like sitting down and you can see that's how I, I work I've got this big printout of mm-hmm. <laughs> manuscript old school I like it um, and when I first had to like you know I, I really put it off for a while or I'd look at it and think mm, yeah I'm going to do that and then I'd, I'd think I'd, um, I wrote a lot of notes and I thought I'd, I, I'll do it systematically this is how I'll approach it and then I think I did just start flicking through and once I started flicking through, I just was ready to fix it. I was just like, right. And, that, and then that feeling was good to realise that um, it wouldn't be so difficult. I, was, I remember really feeling like, oh, I know what to do here.
0: Because I've found in my own experience that by the time you get to that final stage where you're ready to just, I, I'm done with this, you can actually have the name of a major character misspelled later in the book, and you just don't even see it. it I know, just, it's you incredible. You completely miss the read, most obvious things. Yeah, you read what you want to read.
1: And then you come back later and
0: you go, what? How did, how did, yeah. how did that get through?
1: Yeah. yeah, totally. No, I've seen a few typos like that for sure. And you do, you read what you want to read. You read what you're hearing in your head, I think.
0: So tell us a little bit about the book. If, if I mean, I know well, you don't want to give too much away. but No,
1: that's try. fine. It's more that it's not, it's, it's never felt like a neat um, project to explain. I guess it's a family drama saga, of, of some description um, and very character driven. So, again, like in the, in the telling of the book, it's not like there's a neat plot kind of um, summary to give, although it certainly centers around uh, a family that have been living in a um, how could I describe it like a duplex of sorts, and the, the parents, after the father dies he leaves a will that not all children are happy with and that's the family are already quite divided and have a lot well, of do it. complicated it off, right? <laughs> relationships going on and so then it's just around, yeah, that that kind of explodes their relationships further. And I tried to use that really as the lens of looking at how much was going on for each of those characters anyway. So it is a multi, what do you call it, the multi-perspective multi... I don't know what you call that. What do you call that?
0: Anyway, I'm sure there's a name, but it's escaping me as well.
1: Yeah, well, it's got different narrators.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Multiple narrators. There you go. That works.
1: Um, Uh. So it's just sort of an opportunity to look at what was going on with each of the characters and in more depth, like more of their history and what they were, you know, what kind of people they're like and why they were reacting this way. And and that they couldn't come together as a family to try and resolve this issue. That's not the best explanation. No, so. that's OK. I
0: mean, you'd said in, in in descriptions I've read of this piece, you talk about um, motivation, your motivation being making visible white working-class stories that are not about ridicule, cliche or caricature. Mm. Are we talking about, as examples, are we talking about things like the castle and Kath and Kim? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about?
1: Uh... Maybe not so much those. I love the castle. Um, I think more about that sometimes there is a tendency to have a bit of the ridicule for working class characters. Yeah, 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 there is a bit of that, I definitely think. And maybe that comment when I've written that descriptor is more about. You know, really thinking about my family and the place and the people I came from, and feeling like it's really complicated. You know, there's a lot of um, structural issues, there's a lot of inequality, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma, and it just felt like often that just gets really simplified, and it's just um, you know, bogan working class, or yeah, or there's some, or there's ridicule, but there's not much kind of um, of a sympathetic. Look, so I think it was it was partly motivated by that. That I think, I certainly have been around people with a lot of shortcomings in my life from my working class background and community, but it didn't mean I couldn't offer any kind of understanding for some of those for some of those shortcomings. And I just think sometimes representations don't do that. It's just like they're really crass, they're really uncultured, and I just I didn't like that. I just didn't want it to be that.
0: Have you have you read? Luke Carman's work? Yes. How did, how did you find that? That's that's similar to what we're describing. Well,
1: really it? inspirational. I've often, I have talked about that in other um, spaces that, you know, Luke Carman's book was a big turning point for me. I don't know, even just considering writing about um, my background, for sure, I really found that. So yeah like really he, his work was incredible, and it, made, it just for the the permission that it gave me to feel like it was okay for us to talk about these people and these places like, so I've yeah been a long time fan
0: and in to that and to own them as being a place that without getting into the politics of it to own own them as a place that is for everybody, regardless of mm. what your background is, I suppose
1: yeah, yeah, well, definitely, like I was excited because I thought, oh, there's there's Luke's work and there's exciting work coming out of Western Sydney. And, I, I mean, apart from the permission, because it really did shock me. I mean, I remember, that book all got passed around my circle of friends by saying, there's a book that's got Mount Pritchard in it. It
0: has a Luke's book?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's where my friends are from. Mm. So it was just such an excitement. It was literally like kids' excitement. And so that was exciting to sort of go, oh, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that. Like, literally, even though I'm much older, I still felt quite childlike in going, I didn't know you could do that.
0: But that that, that for people who have made a big thing about the fact that it's set in Mount Pritchard. That's somewhat missing the point, isn't it? Because it has to be set somewhere. It just happens to be. But it could be.
1: It's, yeah. I mean, anywhere. look, it was very exciting for for us because, you
0: know... I guess representation.
1: They lived in Mount Pritchard, yeah. so it's like, it's not often. Well, it's the same. It's not often we feel pops up anywhere, ever. Right. <laughs> so you still have that. It was just that little. Yeah, because I it mean, was. it was certainly, of course, there's more to it,
0: but... it's not St Kilda or, you know, one of these cool places. Yeah. Um, and I use the word cool in a... Yeah. It, yeah.
1: Well, it's just not visible. Is right. Really, I think. So I think there was that excitement around going... It gave a visibility that I hadn't really considered.
0: I'm um, going to wrap up soon because I know you're busy and I am too. We all yes. are. But um, quick question, just something that jumped out at me when I was reading the um, what you sent us about, you know, when you are applying for this particular thing. You talked about you and your partner. You said you don't call yourself an artist, but your, <laughs> your partner is, is a working <laughs> artist. Um, and you talked about prioritising what you value and love over the financial security of doing you haven't used the word a real job, but I'll just use mm. it as a... Job.
1: Well, yeah, I know what you mean and I certainly do feel like I have a real job because I work in um, high schools and mm. it feels really bloody real <laughs> um, and exhausting, but I work part-time yeah. and, um, and because I think for a long time my partner's been involved in arts and music and... Maybe I've skirted around the sidelines of writing or had my own little whatever issues or qualms about what I do or don't call myself but we certainly have always um, had these things in our life that haven't earned us money Mm. and it doesn't mean we haven't worked but we've usually worked odd hours or part-time hours um, so we can both still remain connected to those things and just to... And that's fine. I'm happy to do that. Like I said, the point is that that's a a value-driven choice. Mm. But it does mean that, I mean, we don't have savings. We don't have a house. We don't have all these sorts of things that as you get older, get harder and harder, especially like everyone's constantly going on about, you know, the rent crisis and the cost Mm. of living and all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, neither of us have someone that's financially supporting the other.
0: Yeah. And then that, that, that wasn't intended as a kind of curly question because I, I completely hear what you're saying and I, I'm kind of reminded of, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but reminded of when Tony Abbott decided to say that, um, you know, we shouldn't be funding people's lifestyle choices if they choose to be artists, which seems like an incredibly short-sighted yeah. approach to the, the way arts work. Well, I mean, what, how do you respond to that?
1: yeah. Yeah. No, it's horrible. It's horrible, but not surprising, right? No. I mean, apart from the fact that it came out turning Tony its mouth. But it's also <laughs> not surprising, I think, culturally in Australia, that it's it's not really valued and um, and supported in that way. We never have the, the cultural lens of how much it gives us or provides us in life. I feel like it doesn't get a lot of respect and um, standing in that way. But it's... I mean, for me, it's just about what's practical mm-hmm. and... Um, that's practical it's practical to to work a bit mm. and to not work all the time and the the value based decision for me is that I've always wanted work to not define my life I've always wanted balance in my life I've always wanted to um, prioritize the things that I love and that give meaning to my life and I think I would do that regardless um, and I think you know, as I get older, I'll often be making bad jokes about it because I think I. And I said in front of my mother the other day and in front of Michael, my partner, that um, how poor we'd be in our old age. And like I made lots of derogatory comments about, about us both. And my mum just said, But you've had the lifestyle. <laughs> so, and I think um, it's well, okay. She's like, right and
0: wrong at times. Yeah, at times and I
1: know she? it's more complicated than that. Mm. But I still appreciated like I, the beauty of the comment because I think, look, we did, we chose now, and we've always chosen now. It might not, be, <laughs> we might regret that later, and it might not pay off later in life. But we've always chosen.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, this is something I've I've said to people over the time that I've been in the arts, and I'll say to people, look. Nobody's forcing us to do this. It is in fact a choice that we we take to do this. But there is more more of a drive to it than just I want to see my name on a book. It's it's being involved in the arts is a
1: Yeah.
0: It's a calling if you like, to not put too high mighty a kind of label on it.
1: No, I certainly have never been driven by I want to see my name anywhere. Um, hence not even being willing to call myself a writer. But um no, but I'm but I am driven by what it gives us, right? Like what is our what is our life and existence without these sort of meaningful pursuits? That's to me that's kind of where it's more at. But um.
0: So between for yourself, I mean where does a lion's share of the drive go for some you being able to express a view or if you like, you know, look at look at your own life and put it on the page and your experiences, or is it about something yeah, putting something out there that will people, other people will read and it might change their way of thinking. No, I works.
1: think it's definitely the former. The former? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that will shift? Or do you think that's just... No.
1: I don't, I mean, look, I don't know. I haven't, thought, I haven't thought, I've been asked it directly before, so maybe I'll think about that more. But no, I don't think so.
0: So if you, also here, here is a curly question. If you're given the choice to continue to write forever but it never gets published, or you write this one book and it wins the book a prize and it is, but you can't write again. Which one are you going to take?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think again I'd have to take the first one, right? Yeah. Like it does give you something. It gives me something and um, I want to keep having that in my life. And also I think it sounds quite horrible, some of the other stuff that comes with the um, the dazzle
0: Well, I have to say that... That's quite
1: terrifyingly horrible,
0: to be honest. I have to say that answer, I find that really kind of refreshing because I don't know which way I would answer. I've I've tried to do both. I've tried to write the massive bestseller and, you know, looked like it was going to go close and it didn't and all those things. I've also written just for myself and if I were given that choice, I really don't know what my answer would be. So Mm. I find it refreshing that you could just go, I know what's important.
1: Yeah, I mean, but look, don't forget you put the caveat on it that you could never ride again.
0: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that, that, order. Yeah, that is a tall order. Well, I mean, but it also points to what's important, doesn't it, that for you yeah. and for most of us, being able to actually just express yourself in that way is, is important. I think it's expression, yeah. yeah. Not, without meaning to speak for your partner, Michael, how do you think he would answer that in terms of his art?
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, definitely I think you'd have to ask him,
0: hey. Okay, <laughs> Can you, let, can you ask him and let us know? I'd be keen to know. Yeah,
1: no problem.
0: <laughs> Michelle Freeman, thank you so much for t- talking to us today. Um, just finally, I'd like to thank the Ades Family Foundation and Katie, the owner of Daffodil Cottage, for once again making this possible. And uh, thanks for talking to us and all the best with the rest of the week and beyond.
1: Thank you. And I'd also like to echo those very same thanks. I feel very um, fortunate and gra- uh, grateful and I appreciate yeah, having, having this time. So thank you.